This is Dave, the Scholarship Coach, with your Daily Scholarship for Friday, February 9th. And today I am joined by our guest, Amy Seeley. Amy is a former guest. Amy is the founder and president of Seeley Test Pros, and she began her career in test preparation in 1994, working for Princeton Review. In 2006, Amy began Seeley Test Preparation Services, meeting the test preparation needs of students in the greater Cleveland area. And then in 2012, she became the founder and president of Seeley Test Pros with the addition of additional tutors trained in the successful methods and strategies of Amy's experience. And if that wasn't enough, Amy is also the founder and co-host of the Test and the Rest College Admissions Industry Podcast that discusses the latest issues in testing, admissions, learning, and education with leading experts. Amy, thank you for joining us again. I am so happy to be back with you again. Well, fantastic. We are thrilled to have you back. And today we are going to be talking about the world of SATs and ACTs. My favorite subjects. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that came to mind as I was thinking about our conversation was, why do we have two tests? Why do both the SAT and ACT exist? Why not just a single test for everyone? Well, interestingly, I would say like anything, there's always got to be competition, right? Coke mm -hmm. needs Pepsi. Um, and interestingly, in that dynamic, we see that as one you know, product makes changes or adjustments, we will sometimes see the other product, you know, make some adjustments on their end. So, which kind of leads to this conversation about SAT, choosing SAT versus ACT, because mm -hmm. while there are similarities between the tests, um, there are some significant differences, um, which is kind of interesting because for students, given that all colleges across the country will accept either an SAT or an ACT score, which is okay. something that has been true since 2007, right? Okay. Um, which is a which is a big thing that a lot of parents don't actually know that. They think that the SAT or ACT is something you have to figure out which college takes which, but that is simply not true. So it makes this an interesting conversation because students have choice. Mm -hmm. Understanding some of the differences between the tests may influence whether a student wants to take the SAT or ACT or wants to prep for one of those tests over the other. So in that conversation, we'll talk about things like what areas are similar, what are different, and how that might influence a student's decision. Well, along those lines then, can you give us an idea of um, what a student's profile would be like for choosing the SAT or choosing the ACT? Well, probably one of the biggest things is the fact that the SAT um, is now going to be 100% digital. Okay. Whereas with the ACT, there is the option or choice for students about taking a digital versus taking a paper test. So the initial comment would be if someone were to prefer that paper version, their only option would be to take the ACT. Okay. Um, now, so we've got digital. The second thing to consider now is with that digital SAT, it is adaptive, which basically means a student is going to get two modules of reading, writing, and two modules of math whereby the first module will be comprised of easy, medium, harder questions. Mm -hmm. And based upon the student's performance, um, if they do well, then the second module they'll receive um, of that respective subject matter would be harder. If that student does not perform as well on the first module, then the next module will actually be easier. So for some students, that's going to make the SAT a much harder test if they're looking to score probably somewhere in the 600 to 800 range in an area versus that test may end up feeling easier if that student is scoring, let's say, below 600. Okay. Um, 
ACT, even if you take a digital ACT, it is still sort of in a linear, non-adaptive format, meaning the test is the test for every single student taking it on that particular day. So students don't have to worry necessarily about, will I get a harder module or easier? It'll be the same exact test for every student taking the test. Um, so that's a considerable difference between the two. When we start talking about subject matter, with these recent changes to the SAT, a considerable difference is reading. Um, okay. The reading and the writing is actually combined into the same module on the SAT, um, with about two-thirds of it being reading, reading, and about one-third of the questions really landing more in like the writing grammar component. Okay. Right. But this is a big difference. Reading passages on this new digital adaptive SAT are only about 50 to 150 words in length. So think a reading is actually two to maybe three sentences long on average okay. um, on the SAT, whereas ACT reading sections, their passages are about 700 words. Mm, okay. So they are the more traditional readings that we think of as long form reading. Every SAT reading and writing question is separate from all others. So Every time you do an SAT reading writing question, you're always getting a different passage. That is something brand new. Whereas with ACT readings, you're going to get four of them, but each of them will have 10 questions. So if you're somebody who likes short and sweet, you might like SAT reading also because you're given more time mm -hmm. per reading writing question SAT. You're given far less time. Um, for reading questions on ACT. So if you're kind of a speeder and you like to move quickly and you can move really quickly, you might prefer ACT reading. Um, whereas if you really like a lot of time, you might like SAT reading. But as a general rule, we're going to say SAT reading passages, SAT reading questions are far more complex for students. Okay. And vocabulary and transitional words and phrases are tested um, a lot. Whereas with okay. ACT reading, there is less of an emphasis on vocabulary um, and no emphasis really on transitional reading. But ACT English is its own separate section with 75 grammar questions. Um, and so students are going to find that if they want to separate those two skills of English versus reading, that is something that will happen on an ACT. Okay. Um, the other significant difference would be mathematically. Um, we're going to say that SAT is going to place a much greater emphasis on students' algebraic skills. So those are those skills and knowledge obtained from Algebra 1, Algebra 2. Um, and those skills are are tested really in depth. you got okay. to really know those skills well because they really dive deeply in ways that students might not even think they recognize the content being tested on the SAT math. Yeah. ACT we're gonna say covers a lot more topics, arithmetic, algebra one, algebra two, geometry, um, trigonometry, and even what we might say is a little bit of pre-calc, but geometry is only about 15% of an SAT math, whereas geometry might be upwards of like 40, 45% on ACT. The vast majority of formulas are provided on SAT math. Okay. They are not provided at all on ACT math. So that oh. means if you've got to memorize those geometry formulas, that is really part of your ACT prep for math. Okay. And then kind of the most notable or, you know, that someone might notice is ACT does test science. It has a distinct science section. Okay. Whereas AC, SAT does not test science specifically or distinctively. I mean, while there are 
reading or writing passages or math questions that might revolve around some science, you are not really being tested directly on science per se. But ACT science is primarily reading graphs, tables, charts. At the end of the day, the one thing I want to mention that can kind of really stand out is that the SAT test is made up of roughly 98 total questions. Okay. And students will have roughly two hours and 14 minutes to complete those questions over the course of those four modules. Okay. When we talk about ACT, we are talking about 215 questions and students will have two hours and 55 minutes. Mm. So you can kind of get a sense of way more questions on ACT right, right. than you are going to find on this um, digital SAT. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a lot. Um, I know yeah, it's it lots of process, like students, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It sounds like um, students need to have a much quicker pace on the ACT then. Am, am I right? But it's worthy of note that you can actually miss probably more questions on an ACT and okay. still get a good score. So okay. I'll give you an example. In the reading ACT section, which is, like I said, it's definitely a speeded section. You know, if you get um, basically, you know, 80% of the questions correct, you can still get a 28 to a 30 in your ACT reading score. So if you got 32 right out of 40, you can still get a great selective competitive reading score. So to say it's speed, it is true, but to say that that's going to seriously impact your ability to get a competitive score, not so much. Okay. All right. Interesting. Hmm. Well, let's talk about um, what students should be doing. Let's start with um, high school juniors, class of 2025, because they're the ones who are theoretically starting to think about um, standardized tests. Um, this is you know, this episode's coming out first part of February. So um, say February, March, April, May, what should high school juniors be doing in relation to, to test prep? So most importantly would be, you know, getting themselves registered to take a test. So if their school doesn't offer like an in-school school day testing, they want to be thinking about taking that ACT, let's say in April, um, June or July. Um, especially if it's going to be their first time. Mm -hmm. um, if it's their first time, we highly recommend the April ACT because one, that gives you an opportunity to get a score that you can then decide um, if it's better or worse, right. or if you want to try the SAT. Um, but also the April and June ACTs offer students the ability to order what we call the test information release, which okay. means they can order a copy of their test and answers. So if you're an April tester, you can order a copy of your test and answers, have that back in time um, through your you know, your portal on the ACT website to use that in review to take it again in June or July. Okay. Well, if like you are an SAT tester, then obviously you want to consider that you might take the AC SAT in March, May, or June. Um, okay. Now, SAT with this new digital adaptive format does not allow you to access your test or your test questions. So you won't be able to benefit from knowing what you got right or wrong on the SAT. But Basically, this is the time to start looking at the dates. Um, if you're going to do any prep, usually we're going to say easily you should build in probably six to eight weeks if you plan okay. to do some preparation, mm -hmm. study, review. Um, so for some students, we definitely say you should have one ACT and or SAT in the books by the end of your junior year, mm -hmm. giving you the opportunity, let's say, to take that SAT again at the end of August or take that ACT again in September. I mentioned those August or SA, you know, SAT or September ACT dates because if you're looking at applying early action, early decision, 
your last opportunities at those tests might be September or mm-hmm. possibly early October, but generally speaking, you know, early action, early um, re- early decision deadlines mm-hmm. don't allow you to test much later than September. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, then let's talk about younger students, high school freshmen and sophomores. Um, they're not probably going to be taking the SAT or ACT in the next year or two, but what should they be doing to set themselves up for success with those tests when they are juniors? So in our test prep industry, one of the things that's really critical to know is that in general, you know, industry professionals will tell you not to do formalized test prep in your freshman or sophomore year. The best test prep can often be launched in the summer after your sophomore year, partially because for students, they may have taken a PSAT or Mm -hmm. a pre-ACT as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. And that information might guide them by the end of sophomore year, their curriculum may have afforded them in terms of knowledge or understanding as much as it's going to. But that is not to say they can't be doing some prep And what we will say is that number one thing is try to do as well as you can in the math classes you're taking in school. Afford yourself of all the opportunities that of learning math, of taking algebra one, of taking geometry. Um, If you've taken algebra two, that's even better. Um, Make sure if you're taking geometry, you're probably trying to retain a lot of those formulas um, for various shapes and figures. Um, And also reading. We will always say the best tester is often a student who is a reader. And so the more a student can engage in reading, most definitely outside of the curriculum, Mm -hmm. where the student is taking advantage of just selecting, you know, books, selecting magazines or journal articles to read, most especially if they're kind of above the typical high school reading level, Highly encourage that. And the other thing to keep in mind is the vast majority of reading passages that we're going to encounter, actually on most standardized tests, especially SAT and ACT, are going to be nonfiction. So I would also encourage more nonfiction reading. Um, Because for a lot of students, they're just more conditioned to read stories um, in school. And reading nonfiction is going to feel and look a little bit different. And typically, it's probably going to be written at a higher reading level. But reading is the number one skill students should be engaging in. I mean, obviously in middle school, junior high, but most especially um, when they hit that high school level and we talk about reading 15 minutes a day is such a great amount of time, we'd say, to build a strong reader. That's great. You are not not the first person I've heard that messaging from, so it must it must work. It is. If I got a nickel for every time I gave that advice, you know, I, I might not even be doing test prep anymore. <laughs> I work go. myself out of a job that way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, Amy, uh, this has been really informative. Um, I'll give you the last word. First of all, before you close, uh, make sure you tell us how listeners can get in touch with you. But is there anything else that you would want uh, listeners to know? I think the most important thing is to realize that we are operating more in a test optional college admissions landscape. We have seen some colleges move back from not requiring tests to requiring. And I would stress, and this is what I hear from most high school counselors, Uh, most college advisors, even though you might not end up submitting a test score, that does not mean that you should not attempt an SAT or ACT or that you should not prep for an SAT or ACT. Because to be fair, the skills we build in test prep 
are not just for taking a test. They're really critical to building good skills, you know, for, for college and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not you submit a test score, taking a shot in SAT or ACT and putting some time in to build those skills is something that I would highly, highly recommend. Now, as far right. as getting in touch with me, <laughs> um, you can always feel free to check out my website, which is sealytestpros.com. That's S as in Sam, E-E-L-E-Y. Um, or you can email me at amy, A-M-Y, at sealytestpros.com. Fantastic. Well, I will put a link to the website in the show notes of the episode. And Amy, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are a wealth of information and we love having you on. Thanks so much. I'm always happy to share about my favorite topics of the SAT and the ACT. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again. Class of 2025, the time to start applying for scholarships is now. My Class of 2025 scholarship coaching service allows you to take advantage of all the scholarship opportunities that are open during your junior and senior years of high school. And by starting as a junior, it allows you to win scholarships that are only open to juniors, while also giving you the practice you need for the huge scholarship opportunities that open up during your senior year. During the first month of the program, we'll start to build your personal narrative. I use my five pillars methodology to help you build this foundational key for winning scholarships. Included are an unlimited number of video conferences with myself to help you perfect your personal narrative. And in the first month, we'll get started on your scholarship roadmap. This is a personalized and curated scholarship plan based on your profile. Additionally, I'll work with you one-on-one -on -one to help perfect up to 10 scholarship applications per month. I'll review your applications, essays, and projects, providing advice and feedback on how to improve your scholarship entry. Availability of this program is extremely limited, and when it sells out, it will not be offered again. It is suggested that you have a GPA of at least 3.5 and at least one extracurricular activity that you're passionate about. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to learn more, or go to nodebtcollege.teachable.com and look for the Class of 2025 Scholarship Coaching Program.